The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yes, yes, yes. And welcome back to the Fresh Arsenal podcast with me, Ollie PB. And delighted to welcome back after a big sabbatical, JB. JB, how are you? I am good. Thank you, Ollie. It's good to be back. I uh, had a wedding yesterday. Uh, not mine, uh, but I'm, I'm over the worst of, of how I felt this morning. And it's good to be back. It's good to hear. Good to hear. No excuses this time. And we've got Pat again. Hello, Pat. How are you doing? I'm very well. Uh, not as good as usual because JB's back on, but you know, harsh. harsh All the good points JB. taken. That's why it's, it's like party not being great. Blah blah blah. I love I loved Twitter <laughs> this morning. By the way, like I I actually think that obviously like when Arsenal were bad, Twitter was amazing, and when Arsenal's when Arsenal were good, Twitter's amazing. But Twitter's somehow even better when Arsenal were bad and now are like bordering on good it's even better because some of the stuff that's getting dug up is just brilliant can we, can we just appreciate by the way it's even like better. i i sent a very justifiable tweet last summer that was like the gist of it was if, if madison is available at 65 million and erdegaard's available at 30 to 35 it feels like a no-brainer right hmm. that was the gist of it which seemed not to go down well with a lot of people last summer who seemed to think James Madison was amazing and Erdegaard wasn't. Um, and honestly, I'd forgotten about it. And Pat, you sent... <laughs> this is all my fault, actually. Like, the tweet to the group this morning. And I screenshot, I screenshot it or saved your screenshot um, and just tweeted it without any comment or caption. And it's um, blowing up. And it's getting a lot of love and a lot of people saying, huh. Look at these idiots who said it was stupid to go for Erdogan over Madison. Um, and there's got people digging up other tweets and comparing old opinions on things and people complaining that apparently I don't use dark mode, although Pet doesn't use dark mode. I don't. Um, I, don't. I don't use dark mode. Don't like it. I prefer the normal, normal mm. mode of, of Twitter. 
Um, but but yeah, look, proven to be right as always, and we move on. But thanks, Pat, for for stirring up my morning. I I thought it was brilliant. Um, and to be fair, like I, I was in the camp as well of like seventy million for James Madison was too much. I think I tweeted something at the time which was like, if you buy Madison and White for like one hundred and twenty million, and it's half your transfer kitty, I think that's fine. But if it meant that, like, basically, we basically bought, we would have bought Madison for as much as we paid, basically, for, for White and Odegaard, essentially, give or take, like, five or so million, which seems like not very good spending. And I think mm. a lot of people started digging up different tweets, JB, about, like, your takes on party, uh, wanting Hoiberg and stuff like that, which I thought was also equally good, good crack. But I do think, to, to kind of sympathise to you a little bit, like, I do... I do think there is a good conversation to be had about like process over result in the sense that like just because a player comes in when they're on big money or like at a certain age and they perform really well and do really well doesn't necessarily make them like a good value signing in the sense that like, you know, Thomas Party came in on a lot of money, um, expected to play in like a system he's never played in before, played like one particular foot style of football in European football. Uh, Champions League player and was kind of expected by a lot of Arsenal fans to be like our next Vieira um, and I was kind of like uh, I don't know where that's going to come from now he's obviously been incredible these last three months but again just because the result has become a specific type of way doesn't necessarily mean the process was um, yeah and, it, and it's also I, I completely agree right and it's also with party like in, until Christmas right until three months ago no one is sat there saying it was a great deal right he was awful in the first half of the season. He's amazing now. He's in our top three players now, and, and we're all very happy for that. Um, just to explain, you know, just to explain to the few people who haven't got JB's tweets on notifications, because I think we've gone a little bit sideways. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're presuming everyone's seen what's gone on. It, essentially, what JB um, brought up, as he says this morning, is that the odegaard Madison comparison, which which caused a lot of debate. And that resulted in then uh, other old opinions on players like Thomas Parter, who, who JB has been very vocal on. Um, and we all have had different opinions on different players. So I think the centre of it is there's very few people who probably back the club with every single decision they made last summer. I think mm. I'm one of the most positive people and I probably tried to be positive about all of them, to be fair. So I wasn't wrong at all. Is, I think I, is I the think outcome, like, but Ramsdale. even like White, like we all said, good signing. But I, we did a podcast. We did a podcast on him, and I think general consensus may be a little bit too much money if we weren't investing in other areas and things like that. But ultimately, we've gone from Edu, probably most people wanting him sacked, to surely trusted by the majority of the fan base for this summer. Yeah. yeah, but I, I I think there's two parts to that, right? Like number one is, um, you know, Thomas. I don't think we would sign a Thomas Party. Uh, maybe now we've got kind of the boat, like the squad there. I don't think we would have mm. done the Thomas Party deal last summer, right? So that that was kind of the the era of the William and Pablo and Marie and all that lot, right? So actually, we've changed our strategy since then. And we and were we were in question. we were in for him when Raúl was at the helm as well, right? Is the other thing um, to say. But, but I also think, you know, the bigger point here is, like, we're all Arsenal fans. No one wants any player to be bad, right? You could... Any player that I've said is rubbish in the past, you still want to do well for the club. 
And mm. I think it's important to separate, um, you know, being a fan from having opinions on how to run a football club. I don't, that, that shouldn't be a difficult, you know, in the same way as Pet's point, you need to separate process from results. We need to separate me thinking we've overspent on someone from me actually not liking that player, right? Yeah. I want nothing more than Thomas Partey to be the best midfielder in the world. I just had questions about the, the way we bought him. And, and mm. I think the bigger frustration was, I, I guess for me, because I, I've, I've always really loved the player, right? Like I've always thought he was really, really talented. The biggest frustration for me was we hadn't seen it at Arsenal yet. We'd seen it at Spurts. We'd seen it in isolated games. And to me, it kind of felt like, oh, like it's time running out here. Like he's going on 29, like he's on big money. Like how many, like when you buy a player that much, for that much money on those wages, like he needs to do well straight away for it to be kind of worth it. Um, and now that he's doing it, it's amazing. Um, and I hope it continues for kind of like the rest of his Arsenal career, which will be hopefully a, a really good one. But the, mm. I guess what I wanted to say is like, because you knew what well, I knew, the talent was there, and I'd see him. I'd seen him dominate games for Atleti on the em- at the Emirates or at Anfield um, from right back or centre mid. I remember when he went to right back after Vasaka got sent off at sent off the Emirates. I was at that game just thinking, like, what the hell? Like they've they've become better because he's gone to right back. It was mad, and um, like it was more frustrating because it felt like we knew what we'd paid for, but it hadn't come to the fore yet. But anyway, I think we should we should get away from that. The last thing I wanted to say is like the Eddie point was interesting because I'm a firm believer that most football clubs have, are run in like not a very well way, like not a very good way, and that you just need to make the fewest bad decisions to be the best club, if that makes sense. And you know, we've started making fewer bad decisions, um, which is good. But the ones that make the fewest will have the biggest margin forever at the top. So. Liverpool make very few bad decisions. City make very few bad decisions and have the most resources. Chelsea have loads of resources, so it doesn't matter if they make bad decisions. So, hmm. yeah. That, that yeah, is, it's, it's absolutely point. that. It's absolutely that, right? And I think the, you know, you look at other clubs, right? Um, you know, Everton's a great example of, of they've made so many bad decisions. It doesn't matter how much money they have, they can't get out of it. We've just spent a lot of time getting out of contracts and transfers that we put a lot of money into. These things have consequences. And, you know, ultimately the question is, is how much can Arsenal afford to get wrong? And, you know, the Pepe deal, whatever you think about it, was a big, big transfer. And when you have that and you have the Aubameyang contract and then you go and have Thomas Partey, you're getting to the point where if these don't all work out, you're in trouble because you don't have the money to go for other things. Whereas, um, you know, the, the point, and again, people digging up the Hoiberg thing and all the rest. My point is Arsenal can can get a 10 or 20 million pound signing wrong, right? We can get a few of them wrong and it doesn't affect us next season. Um, and therefore, you know, that, that needs to influence your strategy because it, it's about upside versus downside risk. And it's fine going after a I man who's got a lot of upside and it's good. But if, if that transfer going wrong, completely hamstrings your ability to kind of build and grow as a club then you really need to be sure and mm. the, the point we made a couple of years ago was how sure are we on party and he's been great right in the last three months but i'm sorry like if you asked that question in december that's not the right answer and and i really hope we get three well, that... four five more years of an amazing thomas party and it looks mm. like the cheapest deal ever but like should we be asking that question two years into a signing of a player that age 
that's what Who I'm knows? slightly uncomfortable with, to be honest. The, mm. the conversation on tw- Twitter the last couple of days and how we've started this podcast is very much like everyone's instantly wrong when we're, we're, we've got a long way to go in the season, some very tough games still to play. The perception on players like Partey and Odegaard, even though I think they're, they're both very good players, could change again completely. And mm. you think back even to October when I think Odegaard hadn't broken into the team properly. There was still a lot of question marks then. We've had an easier run of games. I have no doubt he's a fantastic player, but this can all switch very quickly. We've got two very tough games coming up this week. We've got Liverpool at home, Villa away. Um, I'm just mindful of not having too much of this conversation until we've crossed that line. We've we've yeah. actually gotten the top four because only then I think you can. I, I said to you both early in the chat, didn't I? I think I said when we get past the group stages of the Champions League and and Partey's still an influential member of this team, then I think you can say it's been a good acquisition because it's done what we wanted it to do. That money. But, but do you not think it's mad that you have to like caveat? Um... You know, us saying let's hold off before we judge is not the same as saying we, you know, we don't want them to succeed. Mm. I think that's what's ridiculous. Yeah, completely. But it just feels like, I mean, even even back in January after we drew, I want Cedric to do well. But I know there's only a certain amount of things he can do as a footballer, right? Yeah, (laughs) like I'd 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 love him to be really crossing is one of them. And be like Arsenal's starting right back, but we we all know that's not going to happen. Would right? you really love that though? No, I'll tell you he, what, he if is. If he good was at. really good, right? Like if he was a really like if he became really good, I wouldn't be like, oh, that's it's annoying that really good Cedric's our right back. Do you know what I mean? I'll tell you what, he is good at ball recoveries because I have a look on Stat Zone after every game when we do a uh, podcast, and he's always top of the charts on ball recoveries. So exactly because he's means. always up the pitch. <laughs> to always have the yeah. patch running back to try and get the ball. <laughs> but let, let's take that conversation into Wednesday. Obviously, got the schedule's been very, very kind to us so far as well. That's another thing. And I, I talked about consistency. I remember after the two times I've sort of wobbled on Arteta was after he was knocked out by Villarreal and the Everton game um, earlier this season. And at the heart of my frustration was the amount of inconsistency in the teams he was picking, the systems we were playing. And I think we named the same 11 for the fourth game running or something yesterday. And I don't think it's a coincidence that... He's got no imagination. <laughs> but that, that's come with success and partnerships all around the pitch. I remember saying it on a, on a Twitter live to with you guys after that Villarreal game, like we've got no partnerships at that point because we were just chopping yeah. and changing everything. And We've had the advantage of no European football for that. This is the first week where it might get tested slightly if we do pick up a couple of injuries. Um, but it's still pretty kind because we've got an international break straight after. With that in mind, JB, how would you line up against Liverpool and then Villa? Would you like to stick to the same eleven again? Or um I'm going to put my old football manager hat on here because in the olden days, I would have said, we're never going to do anything against Liverpool. So just rotate and beat Villa and you're in a really good position. But obviously you can't guarantee that you're going to beat Villa. Mm. So putting all your eggs in that basket is is risky. Um, And with how well we're playing at the moment, coupled with how well we're playing at home, I mean, can he really be seen to rotate massively against Liverpool? So I have no doubt that if Arteta could get away with it physically, he'd pick the same eleven in every game. 
Um, he's not going to vary it tactically. I can see some rationale for a couple of changes, so I could maybe see some rotation of getting Smith Rowe in for Martinelli. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't see, you know, we know Lacazette will start, we know Odegaard will start, we know Saka will start. They'll play every game if they're available. Um, we know Party will start, we know Jacker will start. I think we might, I don't know if he's fit, but we might see Tomiyasu back in. Um, I've said that I could potentially see, you know, I'm worried about Cedric against a better attacking side. I can pretend, you know, maybe we, we get Tommy Esso in if that's too soon, then I could potentially see the Ben White right back holding thing happening again. But I don't know if he wants to disrupt what's going on because that White game mm-hmm. with Gabriel partnership is quite good. So um, I, I think the most obvious thing is same team again. Um, and, you know, potentially potentially a Smith-Rowe rotation and potentially Tommy Asu, but I, I can't see more than two changes for the, for the Liverpool game. And to be honest, then I think we'll, we'll do it one game at a time, as the old cliche says, and they'll pick the Villa game team based on fitness. And if miraculously everyone's fit, we'll go with the same team. Yeah, I think it's likely. And I think we're, again, a bit lucky with the international break that will follow. I mean, if you think about key injuries to our team that we're worried about, probably Lacazette, who doesn't play for France. He's going to have two weeks off after this week. Mm. Uh, ben White, I think, is an important part of the jigsaw. Uh, he probably will get in the England squad, but he's not going to play every minute. Partey, I'm not sure after AFCON whether they have many games in this break or not, but that would be another one that I think, if he gets injured, what do we do? Because we very much built this system around um, him really moving to that 4-3-3. And Saka, again, I, I I hope Southgate would be a bit kind to him. So it doesn't feel like there's a worry of, of you know, whilst it'll be a tough week, I don't think there's necessarily a need yeah. to, to rest any legs. What is it? Is it? It's two weeks in between, right? Yeah. And and you doubt Smith-Rowe and Tommy Asu go on, go on international break. I mean, Smith-Rowe probably at the fringes of the squad, mm. but with his recent injury, I think. I, I wonder if we will declare any of these players injured. You well, know, I, I thought three that... minutes left of the Villa game, we asked Saka <laughs> to go down holding his left toe. I do think with Tommy Asu, that kind of thing will happen. I, I don't think he necessarily would be back anyway, but if it's touch and go before an international break, you probably just leave him out of these two, give him a, another two weeks off away from the international scene, and you come back for your final, what would it be, nine, ten games with a fully fit Tommy Asu. Yeah, like, look, if you can get away with it, you. Um... You rest Tommy Asu. I think we've we've learned the hard way from rushing him back. We rushed him mm. back for the last Liverpool game, right? Was that the cup yeah. game? Yeah, yeah. The and the final. I know it's the other calf, but you have rebalance issues, and if you hurt one calf, you overweight on the other, and you can injure that. Yeah. From what mm. I understand, they are probably linked. So, yeah. I, I Look, when we come can, back, if you can get through these two games with Cedric, you do it. Yeah. Um, if you can't, then I say you query why he's in the squad. But I guess we've won a load of games with him, so. You know, I think we try and stick with them for this. And then, if you think when we come back, we'll want a fully fit Tommy Asu when we travel to Chelsea, West Ham, Palace, um, and those kind of games that where they have some really strong wingers, Tottenham. Um, you know, so let, let's get him back and give him the time he needs because we, I mean, we saw it with Party as well, didn't we? When yeah. he's tried to limp back in. Um, we're finally seeing his best form after he'd been much more carefully treated um, 
and he's back in following his latest injury. We haven't really talked about the game yesterday and um, we've gone straight into Liverpool because I think that's how it is at the moment. We we win a game and we look to the next one nervously worried and it dawned on me when the game was being built up yesterday that I was properly nervous again and I just remember over the last couple of seasons not really feeling quite um, immune to it. What do you call it? Mm. Numb. Feeling very numb before every game because it felt like it was just a great chance for us losing every game. There was nothing really to play for. I've seen a couple of people tweet that they were they sat down during the game, and I actually have to admit I felt like this, which I didn't feel like during the Watford and definitely not the two Wolves games. Mm. Where I just sat down, and I was like, I think this is going to be quite comfortable, and it ended up being like that in the end. Um, but I've seen a few people tweet being like, it's nice to sit down, and I know the Premier League is completely different, but like we used to under Wenger have home games where like you knew you were you were seeing like a four one right mm. and i know the pre- the level of the premier league is completely different even to what it was like five ten years ago in the sense that like burnley have maxwell cornet and Woot weghorst at their disposal <laughs> and they could go down and watford have like some pretty good players they could go down you've got everton and leeds who could also go down leeds who have a striker and rodrigo that, that plays for spain and a player in rafinha that Bayern want so the level of the Premier League is completely different, but even then, I did feel like, yeah, this was going to be quite comfortable. And maybe we, we've got Leicester had the the European game, and they've got one on Thursday as well. Thought mm-hmm. they'd rotate. I think we predicted that, Ollie. We thought this would mm-hmm. be the most comfortable game out of the three for sure. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've got Arsenal PTSD. Like we've been really good, despite everything. I want to believe, and I'm trying to kind of, you know, um, like moderate my emotion on this we are good uh like we've been doing this for too long now not to believe that Arteta has built a good team with good players and um you know we, we've been hurt so many times in the past that despite all the you know the evidence says we are much better than Leicester we are much better than Watford we are much better than all these teams actually these mid-table sides like if you look at our record this season, we've just beaten them all like quite easily and comfortably. And yeah, when we go one nil up, I expected us, I expected us to win yesterday. If you put a gun to my head, I would have said we were going to win, but I didn't believe myself staying it. Mm. It was like the rational part of me, the part that's been following us and the progress of the team. I see a side now that is able to basically, it's not just beat anyone, right? It's able to outplay anyone in the league with the exception of maybe City and Liverpool, although we even outplayed City for most of our game. And therefore, I would expect us on weight, like on probability to beat any team on any given day. Now, obviously, there's variance in that. That's very weird to me still. It, it feels abnormal to expect that. So even when that's happening, I still get nervous. But I think, you know, at what point do our expectations shift? How long does this have to go on for? You know, I think there's still 10, 10 games left in the season. If we play like we've been playing the last three, four months, we'll walk into the top four easily. Um, I think the hard part is believing, it, you know, to what extent is, is this a really good three or four month run versus where we are and who we are now. And I think for me, that's the hard thing. Yeah, we've actually got 12 games left. Unfortunately. Approximately 10. I, I, I think... Um... Yeah, I feel fairly comfortable at home. I, I think, as well as the points, we play some really good football. I think the crowd have really played their part 
um, since coming back into the stadium. All those soft factors um, that Arteta is quite big on, and you can see the players are big on as well. Um, I think are definitely playing their part, carrying the team through some challenging moments. You know, if the if the crowd aren't in the stadium again in that Wolves game, do we score that late winner? I'm not sure. I, th- I genuinely think these things are having a big impact. Um, and that was a massive win when you look at Wolves because they've bounced back after losing to us and uh, West Ham and they're right back in that conversation for top six again. Let's um, focus on a couple of talking points from yesterday. Um, we've kind of alluded to Partey and Odegaard uh, discussion at, at the start of this in that I think they were probably everyone's standout two players in the match yesterday. Um, Arteta's big on wanting control in games and there's a lovely clip going around of us when we were 2-0 up um, with 10, 10 minutes left keeping the ball incredibly well and it uh, went back to last week against Watford when obviously we were two goals up and we were attempting to kill the game off and couldn't keep hold of the ball and uh, Arteta made some comments after the game about how we wanted the team to make 300,000 passes or something to try and you know, starve the oxygen out of the opposition. And it was great to see that sort of comment and, and learning point that I'm sure they practiced in training um, executed much better. Yes, it's easier when you're with a home crowd or laying every pass and you're in your groove and, you know, whether we can do that when we're leading against Tottenham away with top four on the line is, is another level to go to. But Pat, don't you think it's good to, because we've had a lot of talk about this young team um, in their in their poor moments about can they improve and and I remember us having a conversation about Arteta being a young manager and um, JB telling me that managers could never improve but I think we are seeing I never said evidence. that I said managers don't change their style but you said yeah. rarely do managers you said rarely do managers be really change. bad at the start and then be good but I th- and 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 I remember saying. Arteta is clearly learning bits on the job um, and we're patient with young players and maybe we should be patient with young managers in some aspects. And I, I do think there's evidence over the last 12 months that he has learned from his own mistakes. And that's an important thing to do because he's a stubborn man yeah. in, in, in many ways. But I do think he's um, adapting as well. What, what's your take on that, Pat? So I think some of the criticism labelled at him is unfair. I think some of it is fair. And if we've, we've talked about this early on the kind of like, was it the 2022 preview podcast that we did? Um, and I kind of said some of the things that I think aren't his strong points are kind of using the tools at his disposal. Like he wants to play a specific way. Um, like after basically after the FA Cup run, I think he just said, okay, I don't want to play five at the back anymore. I want to like imprint a clear style on this team and it just didn't work with the with the players that we had and obviously now in hindsight it was the right thing to do but I think at the time there was a lot of criticism labeled to him like okay we want to play like City but we've got like you know David Luiz and Rob Holding as centre-backs like is that going to work um I think the other criticism labeled to him was um from me actually was we've seen him be really ruthless off the field on the field, I we haven't really seen that ruthlessness from his team in the sense that like we don't 
go and just absolutely hammer teams. And now if you look at kind of how, you know, the XG we had against Leicester, I think, was anything between 2.6 to 3, depending on like what source you look at. Another 24 shots at home or whatever. Um, we looked, at, again, against Watford and Leicester, we looked at times in attack that we were in second or third gear. And at any point, if it was like a drawn game, we could go just score again. Like it, we did look that kind of domineering. And I think those two bits of criticism are interesting. Um, and I think for me, what's been the most important thing is one that kind of ruthlessness we've seen that from this team because i think i think after the everton game the one thing that was to me was like this team is shit like we could relegate them here pretty much and we could actually relegate them on the final day funnily enough but we could really have put them into 10 losses in a row and what is looking like no wins in or that one win in in 20 games or whatever we should be in the changing room thinking like let's put them properly in the dirt didn't do it since then we've already been on a great run and we've been pretty ruthless in the way we've gone about it bar the bar the Burnley game because I think the City game we did quite well um and then I think yeah like being able to play these like in a similar way without having like one of your main cogs like we've seen Cedric come in and we haven't actually noticed Tomiyasu that much like we've seen Martinelli and Smith Rowe um come in for each other and do quite well now there are still players that are completely indispensable Our, our season just completely fell apart right we started playing Xhaka at left back trying anything we could to play anyone there to make it work and we just could not play football anymore and I feel like we're away from that and I think that's partly personnel but partly we have kind of a system that he's implemented that is a bit more I don't know what the word is but it's like a little bit like less rigid on the personnel and a bit more system reliant and I think that's really, really encouraging. So those two things, I think, for me, are really important. Um, and I'm glad we're seeing them on the pitch now. Yeah, and I think a massive element of team spirit as well. It was interesting to hear um, Xhaka doesn't talk to the media a huge amount. Um, I don't know if you've seen his interview talking about really praising Arteta on the team spirit and behind-the-scenes factors um, that he's implemented. And you know, it's obviously not a direct nod to any particular players, but if you think about the superstars that have, have left the club um, that have had questionable attitudes in Aubameyang, Ozil um, and plenty of others that, that we've um, sort of gone out of this, this club under Arteta's tenure. It's a nod to, you know, the players that are there really believe in him. And we can see that. I don't, whether some people would question still, whether it's right that anyone who doesn't completely buy in just goes and there's no alternative but ultimately, if he gets top four, he's definitely won that um, debate, hasn't he? And he, he gains the trust, I guess, probably not a discussion for today. But I do think, say we get top four, this, this team's next level is to, it, it seems crazy to talk about it, but obviously get towards challenging for a title again. And Yeah, I think, I think there's a middle step, right? Which is, um, the squad's very small. And mm. actually, like, I don't think it's as Establish simple as just making... Establish yourself back in the, fo the top four. Yeah, like it's not that simple to get into the top four and then push on because you actually need to add, what, five to seven players that allow us to play sure. twice a week again. Like, I, I we're don't playing think three times ends. in the next week and we're not used to that. 
yeah. and we're not going to be able to do that with the same 11 every week so no. No. um you're no. right like to become a side that is, is consistently challenging the top four or in the top four is harder than just doing it once although it becomes easier to do if we're in the top four and we're you know recruiting with that behind us mm. it's a weird but situation think... right like getting in there this season with the squad we've got it would be it wouldn't be a miracle um but i think it would be a much bigger achievement than people are making it out to be yeah but to even to establish ourselves then in the top four as the next step you feel like Arteta is going to have to handle some of those bigger personalities again because we're not going to find um i mean how many champions league regular squads do you see without these challenging personalities i mean chelsea are established they've had the lukaku stuff this season um, I'm sure if uh, Lukaku played for Arsenal and did that interview, he would have left in January, for example. It's an interesting discussion for another day. Not if we but... paid £100 million for him. <laughs> it's a discussion for another day, but th- that's what I think maybe he will have to start to show some flex potentially on. Um, you look at all these other top clubs, there's no one without. We haven't got like a star. I'd say our biggest probably world star is starting to emerge as, as maybe Saka and Erdegaard and Saka's like the nicest boy in the world and uh, and Erdegaard's probably a close second very you know feet on the ground um, chap but that's fine right it's also like what are we trying to be so I would I would disagree on the kind of superstar point right like look at I mean uh, Dortmund are too obvious as an example but they you know every player they have that's a superstar has reached that level at Dortmund and been sold. It's not like they're going in and buying difficult personalities because you have to have them. Um, can Can you think of a Premier League example of a club? I mean, City don't sign superstars. Yeah, Liverpool don't sign superstars. Yeah, Lewis, they, they, Lewis you know, Diaz what, isn't like a superstar. Salary, but, but Man City. Do you get to the point where you can spend? I mean, look, the, the place we want to get to is not actually about personality, right? It's level of player. Once we get to the point where we can basically go and buy 30 to 50 million pound players to fill the gaps, if we've got good recruitment, you can get top players. You know, City are doing it 40 to 50, should get you a top player in any position. Personality tends to come, there tends to be some kind of correlation to personality and level of talent if you look around. Um, And I'd argue that even City, whilst I'd say that's probably the best example, I mean, they've brought in Grealish for 100 million, who's causing some issues off the pitch. Um, you've got Foden, who's but but Grealish was not a typical City signing. They're probably going to go. Foden is an academy player. Like actually, if you look at what City have done, it's not that right. It's it's. I mean, who have City signed who was at a top Champions League club? I mean, is is Cancelo the closest you can get? Yeah, it's not Rodri, necessarily where they've come maybe, from. I don't know. I I think. I think they're going to go out and sign Haaland this summer, for example, and I'm sure he's a nice person. I just think there's going to be more challenges that we can't always afford to pay other teams to come and take some of our best talented players. But we'll go down a rabbit hole with it. We've actually had a question. So thank you, Tom, at T Wales. Oh, nice of JB to show up for once. I agree, Tom. It is nice. Hopefully we see him again in 2022. Um, he said, thoughts on the odegaard Saka partnership benefiting from having an overlapping fullback in Cedric compared to Tommy. Interesting debate because 
I, I'm one of the Cedric stands on Twitter. Um, look, I don't think Cedric's a great player at all, but I do think he's unfairly blamed for pretty much anything. How that goes big wrong is that fan club at the moment, Ollie? <laughs> <laughs> but I is just it think you and like three I, other people. I think it's. I, I don't think he's a great player, and I wouldn't even have him as our backup next season, right back. But I just don't like when I see. Oh, Tierney's not played well for six months. It's because Cedric's been in the team too much on the other side and all this bloody crap. Like, <laughs> if he has a good game, say he's had a good game. All um, this bloody crap. And and nice. I agree, he's had some good opponents against to, to do well and do this overlapping. And, you know, even as one of his bigger fans, if you can call it that, I do <laughs> massively worry when we go against Liverpool on Wednesday with him and against Tottenham West Ham away in those games and Chelsea away you know he's got much harder tests to come and I hope Tommy Asu's back but it is interesting in these games we should win your Leicester's your Watford's um, and all Pat, of the Leicester's but you've talked about it before Watford's. with the overlapping fullback saying we maybe need a different option on the right next season um, and if we're going to blame Cedric for every time something goes wrong with any other player, then should we be giving him some credit for Erdogan's best form as arguably come when I, Cedric's I, in the team on the right? I, 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 I am in the anti-Cedric like stand club. I really think he's, he's really rubbish. But There's no club I, for that. That's I was, I was Can you be an anti-someone's stan? That's quite aggressive. <laughs> What's the opposite of stan? Sitting down? I'm a... I'm a, I'm a... <laughs> I'm a I'm a Cedric sit down. But no, take Cedric I, I, out I, the equation. Do you think but, having a different profile of right back yes. helps Odegaard Saka? Well, yeah, absolutely. Like I think, I I the, the the thing is, I think yes in one way, but no in another. In the sense that, like, a pass that's that Tommy. That's Asu's, a great answer, Pat. No, no, I'll, I'll explain. <laughs> so Cedric overlaps a lot. He's more. saying he doesn't know, but he feels like he needs to speak. Hold on. Um, let me let me speak for a second. Cedric overlaps a lot more, and he obviously likes to cross a lot, very very inaccurately and, and fairly poorly. Um, but him overlapping does provide a lot of space for Odegaard and and Saka in that quadrant. On the other hand, though, sometimes in possession, Tommy Ass is very adept at either playing inside really well or actually playing direct into Odegaard, and that's something Cedric's not as good so at, at doing. So. I think Cedric's a lot better at facilitating the play through his movement when we're like in attack, but I don't think he's as good at doing it in possession when we've got the ball deep. Like I think Tommy Asu is a much better progressor. So I definitely think there is, um, and for, for the reasons that I've just listed, and now who that right back is, I'm not sure. We've been linked with Lamptey in the past. Uh, we've been linked with Wilfred, is it Wilfred Songo at... Um, uh, 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 Torino. We've obviously got like um, second best league in the world. Yeah, the second best league in the world, Serie A. Uh, there's a few players that have been linked. Like we've obviously been linked to Liveramento. We don't know what's going to happen with Chelsea. Um, they've obviously got a buyback option on him, so that seems very unlikely. But us being linked to quite a few like more attacking fullbacks is interesting. Um, and I was actually on a walk today, thinking, has Cedric played well enough over this period to actually maybe? Th- like a club might come in and try and buy him. Like, is he teetering on like? Yeah, because that, that backup, was another backup thing. Bright bag Simeone type signing yeah. at this point. Well, they were he was linked with some people in the summer. I mean, mm. yeah. Look, I, I think there's a couple of things with Cedric. He's not rubbish, right? Um, 
there are things he does well. He is clearly, I, I think, I can't remember who said it. I think one of the reasons he's been kept and the others haven't is because he's more two-footed than both Bellerin and Chambers. And actually, when we are, when he's you know facing his own goal or kind of even in possession, um, he's kind of harder to pin down than some of the others. He's clearly a bit of a weak link defensively. And still, for my liking, he just crosses by default far too often. Um, <laughs> like, what I would love is if crosses he keeps by overlapping. It's like the best explanation I've heard. Of he like, does. Literally, he just gets comes the ball and just whacks it into the box. Do you think part of that is manager instruction? And part of the reason no, he's still around is because no, he takes manager instruction? No, I think it's because he's been doing it for so long that it, it's just what it? he does. If he, I, I think know, he's still there. The goal over. against Watford... We scored against Watford when he got in that position and passed to feet inside him instead of crossing. Mm. Um, but I do think, true. I think the positions he takes up are helpful, and his his actions are not necessarily that good. But in our system, him taking up those good positions can be enough to give us what we need in the right back. I think he's a good. I think he's a good well. footballer. I don't think he's a good right back. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and what you and play him seven minutes. No, but the other he's, thing is, like, he's, he's reasonably good at football, but he's not necessarily. Good he'd be good on our five-a-side pitch, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> he'd be able to keep up with us. Um, but I also think you know him overlapping is also linked to what Tierney's doing, and I think it's worked, right? Um, and I'm not in the Cedric fan club or anti-Stan club, but I'm very much of the view that. Whilst it works, I'm happy and I want him to do well every game. I'm just a bit worried because we all know what his frailties are. Mm. Do I want to see him up against Sadio Mane? No. Right. And I think one of the reasons we were good earlier in the season is, um, you know, Tommy Asu's a lockdown one on one defender. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I would like him back for those tougher games. One thing Cedric does do well, as we've already said, is recover balls. So maybe. He can be the Arteta replacement to chuck the ball back on the pitch when Tommy is back in the team. Um, what I was just going to say is, uh, you know, there was that kind of race between backup, right back between Maitland-Niles, Bellerin, Chambers, Cedric, and I do think there's some off the pill, off the field factors into why Cedric sort of won that um, yeah. race. I, th- I think in in Arteta's mind, from a tactical and ability point of view, he would have liked that player to be Maitland-Niles. I mean, we see, yeah. we saw him play Maitland-Niles a lot. He talked about two-foot and SJB. You know, Maitland-Niles can play on the left as well. But I think he had a lot of issues, probably, um, attitude-wise and, and training levels. And Cedric... I mean, he's not even playing at Roma now, right? No. And, no. Uh, and Cedric, for all his flaws... for all his flaws. about Mourinho, but he's probably not one to take any shit. And it's... yeah. Also, you know, Cedric speaks the best Portuguese, which is very useful with Edu um, and all the agents involved in that as well. <laughs> yeah, but I do, I do think he's seen... And Gabriel, though, come on, give him some credit. From what I've from what I've heard and what people say around the club, he seems to be a nice guy, um, which see, is a big factor in every player that's still here. We don't have many people who have questionable attitudes still at the club. So. Yeah, look, there could be an element of... Um, you know, experience. We don't have many experienced mm-hmm. players in the team. We've got Lacazette, we've got Party, we've got Jacka, and the team kind of bounces around those three. So maybe just having a, um, you know, an other experienced player in the squad is something that they decided was valuable. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think people forget he's um, 
you know, he's played a lot of games for Portugal. He's played a lot of games in the Premier League, not necessarily at the highest level, but there is definitely an experience um, factor in that. So we'll wrap it up there. Um, we probably won't talk until after Liverpool and Villa. So there could be a lot of twists and turns um, before we talk again. It's been quite a positive chat today. I do have my fears about the next two games. Um, if Are we, we going to come, come out top with... four, Ollie? I'm not. I'm not saying yes yet. I just, just, I just think there's so many tough games to come. I think this week tells us a lot. If we get out, I take, I'd take three points from the next two games. And I think if we got that going into the international break, you know, say, say it's a loss to Liverpool and beat Villa, I would bite your hand off. I worry. The only thing I worry about this team is when it's good, we do well. How are we going to react to one wobble? Because the loss to Man City, we played really well. We got a bit unlucky. We lost. And then after that, we were dismal in the cup, drew to Burnley at home, and we had a bit of a wobble. And I just think if we wobble again against these big, bigger teams, our three games in hand could just all be knocked off and suddenly we're in a, a sprint to the finish. But I think it's looking more likely, uh, but I'm not going to get excited yet. And I'm, I'm certainly not going to be squad planning for Champions League football. With twelve games left, we we need. Look, to, I mean, we're basically, we basically guaranteed get... tops. Go on, Pat. I was going to say we. Uh, what's I, I don't know. They do it a lot in US sports where we need between Arsenal gaining points and Spurs dropping points. There needs to be twenty-eight a swing. Points. Yeah, a swing. A swing. Point swing. There's twenty-eight points. So basically, mm. we need to gain X points. Spurs need to drop X points, and if it totals twenty-eight, we're basically guaranteed top four. Um, and I think if this, if this 70 point mark is enough, we need to get 19 points from 12 games, which I mean, I know, I, you know, I'm tempting fate, but it feels very achievable. Mm. Um, especially of I know we've got, is. we've got tough away games and I know like, I take your point, Ollie, but we have the same away record or the same amount of away wins as everyone, but the top three and Wolves. And we've mm. played two less games away. And I know two of those Fewer. are fewer two of those are Chelsea and Spurs but I just feel like some of these teams that we're going to play away we're gonna you know they won't have anything to play for um some of them we might nick a result out of like I just I just think we'll just have enough points Mm. um yeah guns ahead we're getting the gun out again a few times tonight um I I think we do but I just not getting excited because I just think I mentally with a young team if we have a bit of a wobble how do we react and we don't have time to feel sorry for ourselves so mm. we'll take it game by game um and we'll chat this time Give 110 percent. <laughs> we'll chat this time next week and see where we are and hopefully i think Tottenham are playing brighton away aren't they yeah on wednesday as well up, so up the brighton it'd be nice if they managed to to drop some points there as well but thank you for joining us on the Fresh Arsenal podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Fresh Arsenal Pod. We are also on every podcast provider. Um, please give us a five-star review if you enjoyed it uh, on whatever you're listening on. It's been great to have you back, JB. Uh, where can people find you if they're not already subscribed and got noties on to your timeline? At Gunapana on Twitter or perusing various central London coffee shops <laughs> during the week. Nice. And Pat, thanks for turning up again, Mr. Consistent. I can almost compare you to Cedric. Fucking hell. <laughs> Give me some more credit. <laughs> <laughs>
more like Ben White. Really? Yeah, I thought about <laughs> saying White, but then I just dropped, relegated you down to said it. Uh, apparently, Salah's missed training today, by the way. So, might not be there for Wednesday. Oh, yeah, he Jota right, just, just got Just got Diaz, Mane, and all the rest to deal with now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Yota, who never scores against us, so should be fun. Um, you can find me at Pet Berisha, uh, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A on Twitter. And I've been Ollie uh, at Ollie Price Bates on Twitter. Uh, thank you very much. Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.